All right, so let's dive in. The first thing I want to say is Hebrews 10, verse 1. says, the law is a shadow of good things that are coming, not the reality itself. And so what does that mean? The law was a shadow. Now, when I walk and you see my shadow, you guys ever seen little kids see their shadow for the first time? You know, it's following me. What, who is this? You know, But your shadow has no substance. Your shadow, it looks like you to a degree, but it's certainly not the substance. And the law was foreshadowing what was to come. And so in a, in what Israel was, giving and was given by God in the natural, we have the fullness in the spirit. Man, I could rabbit trail here and, and do a whole sermon, so I just have to say a few things and move on, okay? But one being that every day the priest would come in to the temple or the tabernacle before that, and would burn incense. The incense was like frankincense and other spices that they took and they ground it up. It was four different spices, but they ground it up in a powder. And they would take like a hot coal from the outside altar. And they would bring it inside and they'd put that hot coal on the golden altar. So it was sitting there. And they would sprinkle that powder on that. And it would fill the holy place with that incense. And that incense was... Um, a part of their worship to God. What Israel had in the natural, we have in the spirit. And what incense is to us now um, is this. It, the four parts are praise, worship, prayer, and intercession. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So God's wanting our hearts to be like a burning coal that we're on fire for him, amen? And out of that burning heart of our love for him comes this praise and worship and prayer and intercession. And the book of Revelation shows that John saw these golden bowls that had incense in it taken before the Father, and it was the prayers of the saints. So does that make sense? What they had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. And I could give so many different examples, the priestly garments, the white, the blue, the gold. Now we, as priests unto God, all of us as priests, are clothed in righteousness, power, and glory. We can be. And there's so many other things to give examples, but I think you get the idea. So when you see Israel, you understand that God gave them things in the natural, but now it was just a shadow of what was to come. But now we have the fullness you know, we, we can be the living, we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, the temple. We, we can walk in his presence. We can be priests of God. All right. The second thing is Romans eleven seventeen. But if some of the branches were broken off, and it's talking about an olive tree. If some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive, talking about the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Talking about the Jewish people. But if you are arrogant, remember this, that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. All right. So all of us have a deep love for Israel. And let me say some things here. The root system that we have in Christianity is not the Catholic Church, and it's not a Western Gentile thing, which you guys know. It goes back to Abraham. It does not really truly, I know that people a lot of times say it goes back to Israel, and I've said that too, but it really, more than that, it goes back to Abraham, and that's important. It's important to understand that. 
the root system goes back to Abraham. And the reason why that's important is because a lot of people look at Israel and you're seeing a secular nation that is the abortion capital of the Middle East, that homosexuality is, is honored there. You're seeing a nation full of people that have rejected Christ as the Messiah. And so according to the scriptures, those that reject him are branches that were broken off. And so people see that nation, but you have to say God's still going to be faithful even though they're not. Amen? God's faithful. And he's still going to fulfill his promises to Israel, and he's still going to fulfill end-time prophecy regarding Israel. But the root system goes back a lot further than Israel. It goes back to Abraham. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. So it's like the roots go back to the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the roots. And Jesus is like that tree trunk. And both Jew and Gentile now in Christ are branches into that trunk. Does that make sense? So see, what happened was before Jesus came and died on the cross, people died in credit. Okay, you know, you guys that have a mortgage know, I mean, you own the house, but technically the bank kind of owns the house, okay? <laughs> I mean, you own it, right, but you're, you're paying on it. Well, one day when you pay off that mortgage, you're going to get the full title and it's completely totally yours. When, when people died before Jesus Christ, they still died in faith. They still, they kept the law, but they looked toward the day of the coming Messiah. And so they died and their sin was not washed away. It was just simply covered by the blood of animals. And when they died, they went down, the Bible shows us they went down into a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom, which would be like living in a really bad neighborhood. Because you could still see hell Smell the stench and hear the screams, okay? <laughs> but they, they were protected. They were sealed off. There was a chasm between them and hell. And their sins were covered by the blood of animals. They died in faith, and this is important. They looked to the coming Messiah. And when Jesus was on the cross, here's the fullness of time, the fullness of everything. Heaven and earth colliding, okay? Jesus was there. And he was the lamb, but he was also the great high priest. He said, it is finished. But before that, remember that thief on the cross was looking at him. And Jesus told him, said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the thief didn't do anything to earn salvation. That's why it's so important. That's what separates true Christianity from Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and the Catholic Church and Islam and all these other... It separates because we believe that you're saved by putting your faith in Christ alone. It's not based on works. You don't earn it. You don't do more good deeds to weigh out the bad. Okay? And this thief on the cross didn't do anything to earn his salvation. He just simply put his faith in Jesus. And it was somehow revealed to him that he was the Son of God. And Jesus looked at him and said, you'll be with me today in paradise. So here's what happened. When Jesus gave up the ghost, the Bible says no man took his life. He willingly gave it up. He said, it is finished. And he died. That thief, when he died, he went down into the lower regions with Jesus. And you can read this in the Bible called paradise. 
In Ephesians 4.11 says Jesus led captivity captive. This is such an interesting story. So Jesus goes down there, and these people that had died that were in Abraham's bosom that were waiting for the coming Messiah, you know, to fulfill everything, Jesus steps in, and it says that he came down there and he preached to spirits that were in prison, and he declared it is finished. He spoke out that I am the Messiah. I've died. You looked for my coming. I'm here now, and you're coming with me. We're getting out of here. And I'm sure that none of them had a problem with that. Okay, so bad neighborhood, right? Temporary residence. And so Jesus took the keys from death, hell, and the grave from Satan. Some kind of conflict took place there. Satan was the loser. Okay. Jesus takes captivity captive. He ascends. I'm going somewhere with this. And as he's going up, these, some of these people raise from the dead. You remember reading that? There was an earthquake, rocks split, the veil split, Jesus goes down there, he's doing his business, and as these people are coming up, some of these people raised from the dead, and they're seen by people. But Jesus, this is important, Jesus was on his way up, stops, and Mary sees him, and she went to touch him, and he said, well, don't touch me yet, because I haven't ascended. There was some kind of an ascension that was almost like a secret ascension that we don't know a lot about. But Jesus, many believe, many scholars believe, that on his way up there, he, he wouldn't let people touch him, but he took these people out of paradise and went up. And when he ascended, many people believe that it had something to do with cleansing, even to the degree of the original rebellion with Lucifer. Like the great high priest going into the Holy of Holies. It's like a, some kind of a, a work Jesus, a priestly work Jesus did, okay? And then Jesus comes back down. So captivity was taken captive. He took those people up to heaven. I'm sure that was an awesome day for them because they've been down there for a long time in that bad neighborhood. And so now they're, with, you know, they're in heaven. So Jesus comes back and he appears to like 500 people. Remember this? He appeared to the, the men on the, the road to Emmaus. And he appeared to his disciples. And even though he could walk through a wall, he had a glorified body, you could still touch him. Because Thomas, he said, put your finger in my hand and in my side. Remember that? And Jesus appeared to them. And so this was interesting because Jesus had this first ascension that we don't know a lot about. It was almost a secret thing. But then after he was done appearing to them for 40 days, he goes up to the Mount of Olives. And he tells them, guys, you need to go wait into Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And so Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. He's talking to him. Next thing you know, up goes Jesus. You know, you're watching him float up in the sky, and they're standing there just like me and you would be, with their mouths hung open, just looking at him. And he disappears in the clouds. And the angels prophesy that were there and told them, the angels said, just as he left, he'll come. In the same way that he left, he will come back. And that's interesting because the Bible shows us that there's going to be like a secret catching away. So to speak, I don't think it's going to be a secret. I mean, a bunch of people disappear. I think a lot of people are going to realize that, right? But there's going to be this thief in the night catching away where the bride is, is caught away with the bridegroom who meets her in the air to the marriage supper. But then there's going to be, just like there was a first ascension and a second, there's going to be a, a first coming, if you will, for the bride. But then the second coming is going to be for everybody to see it. As lightning shines from the east to the west, 
that so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The nations of the earth are all going to see him. He's going to come down. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. And he's going to come in to rule and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. All right. I said all that because of making sure we understand you don't earn your salvation. Now, the thief on the cross, remember Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. Now that will make a lot more sense to those that never knew those scriptures. He literally went down that day with Jesus into paradise and saw what Jesus did. Isn't that amazing? All right. And then this is the third thing I wanted to show you in the scriptures here. Leviticus 23. I had to skip a lot of scriptures because it would have taken too long to read this, but I just put what needs to be out of Leviticus 23. Starting with verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord has appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. Now notice the Lord says, My appointed times, not Israel's. Did everybody see that? For six days work will be done, but on the seventh day there's a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. So we see Sabbath was important. These are the appointed times, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim appointed for them in the first month of the 14th day of that month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And then I skipped all this, but it starts describing all the different feasts, okay? But look at what it says here in verse 41. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days, talking about tabernacles. But the Lord said it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. So the Lord, first off, the Lord said that these feasts, number one, were his feasts, not Israel's. But number two, that it would be observed throughout all generations. So it never stopped. And so even when you read in the book of Zechariah, the, the church is going to have to get used to some of these Hebrew roots pretty quick because um, in the book of Zechariah, when Jesus comes back and he's reigning for a thousand years, we all have to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And it says that if a nation decides, hey, we're not going to go, the Lord said, I will not send rain on their land for the next year. So this is the Lord's feast throughout all generations. All right, so Moses declared that. Now, one of the things I really like is that there's been a lot of understanding since the 90s that have been coming to the body of Christ about our Hebrew roots. I can't rabbit trail on some things right now, so I've got to stay focused because I'm talking about marriage and family. I'm about to get to that. But in the 90s, what really spoke to me where this began in my life really was through the Brownsville Revival because a man by the name of Dick Rubin was a, a Jewish believer, and God used him to come to Brownsville before the revival and teach them about the tabernacle, the priesthood, the seven major feast days, the five major offerings, the priestly garments. But he also taught them about the feast days. And he taught, I remember, uh, I heard a sermon he taught on Hanukkah there, and he lit the Hanukkah menorah with the whole congregation. He taught them about the power of communion, and, you know, he spoke the Kiddush blessing in Hebrew before. The, and, uh, and he also had a big, huge passover seder meal with them and and the pastor there really embraced all of this and understood that this was god and both him and the pastor stated they felt very strongly that that helped lay some groundwork and had a lot to do with the revival that broke out after that 
In fact, while he was there, he prophesied that revival would come. So that's where it began with me. And I see ministries, it's just so wonderful. I see like the 700 Club, CBN, they have this big, huge Rosh Hashanah celebration every year. And it's really beautiful. People have done a fantastic job. Like Perry Stone, you guys ever heard Perry preach? I really like him. He's good. Perry Stone, John Heggie, Larry Huck, there's several. And there's several that their names are not real known, but they've made an impact that have really been teaching on Hebrew roots since the 90s. And it's really helped the body of Christ tremendously, okay? But here's some things that for us to understand today that's connected to our Hebrew roots. Number one, the power of the shofar. That's something that began for me at Brownsville as well. But man, the shofar is a powerful weapon of war. It really is. The tallit, which is a prayer shawl, speaking blessings, that goes back to the Hebrew roots, anointing with oil, the communion table, and really understanding it goes back to the Hebrew roots, and the power of water immersion. And for you to really fully understand all of this, see, another thing about the shadows, you know, I don't claim to be some great artist or anything, but Rachel actually is, but that's not my thing really. But, you know, if you drew a picture, that's one thing, but if you can put shadows on it, it almost makes it like a third dimensional and it adds depth to it. So one of the things about the Old Testament being a shadow of things to come is that if you understand the Old Testament and you understand your Hebrew roots, it brings a lot of depth to your Christian walk. It does. I mean a lot of depth. And unfortunately, a lot of the body of Christ is missing out on a lot of this. So I began to pursue this since the 90s to understand more about it. And my wife and I also together began to pursue understanding a lot more about it even in the last couple years. So let me just share some things that I believe, because I'm talking about marriage and family one of the things that I feel has really blessed our family tremendously has been the Sabbath. <clears throat> I'm not saying this for your benefit here because I think that you guys understand the Hebrew roots, but, but there are people out there that have a knee-jerk reaction and think people are putting them under the law or whatever. Okay, the way that you would come under the law, like the book of Galatians was talking about, is by feeling that you have to do these things to be saved. Or you have to do these things to be righteous. Or you have to do these things or God will be displeased with you or grieved or whatever. And so they feel like that they're earning, again, their salvation, so to speak. And we're not talking about that at all. This, this has nothing to do with that. So what are the benefits of the Hebrew roots? Like, for example, if somebody said, well, you know, I want to start maybe keeping a Sabbath or I want to start connecting to these feast days. And I want to understand more about the Hebrew roots. What, what are the benefits of doing this? Because I'll give you an example. You know, you could accept Christ as your Savior and be really sincere about it. And if you leave out of here and have a car wreck and die, you're going to go to heaven, even though you were never water baptized. But why in the world would you want to live your life as a Christian not being water baptized and being hindered Okay, the power of water baptism is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. 
as they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea, that Red Sea shut behind them and destroyed their enemies that were pursuing them and helped separate them from their past, okay? The power of water baptism seems to be to destroy things that are trying to chase you from your past into your Christian walk and help to fully separate you from your past. Not that you're not going to go to heaven without it, but why would you want to limp along in your Christian walk and struggle because of not following through with that? Does that make sense? All right. So there's benefits to this. So since we're talking about the Sabbath, let me start with this scripture. Isaiah 58, 13. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, but seeking from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Look at the promises here. The Lord's basically saying, if you'll set aside a day as a Sabbath to me, he said, here's what I'll do for you. You will know the joy of the Lord. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth or the heights of the land. And you will feast on the inheritance of Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Isn't that powerful? You'll know the joy of the Lord. You will ride on the heights of the land, meaning the Lord's saying there, I'll make you the head, not the tail, the top and not the bottom. I'll promote you. I'll bless you. And you'll feast on the inheritance of Jacob, meaning abundance. I'll give you abundance. So as I began to look into some of this, I began to ask the Lord, because you know, you don't want to get into any type of a religious spirit, whatever you do. You don't want to get into any extremes in anything that you do. So I began to really seek the Lord. Lord, I want to know what are the actual benefits of this. If there is a benefit, I want to know. And the Lord began to show me something about these appointed feast times. Whether it's the Sabbath, once a month, the turn of the Hebrew month is called the Rosh Kodesh, and then the feast days, okay? And I was curious about this. I was like, what, what are the benefits of these things? Well, number one, what the Lord began to show me is that there's a special open heaven during these times. We had a lady that was, uh, came out of Satanism, my wife's testimony coming out of these things. So her testimony gets a lot of people out there hearing that. They realize, hey, you know, I can be saved. So anyway, she came to my wife for help, but she was telling me that during the dark times, like, for example, Halloween uh, during the, the satanic feast, because there's several of them, there's not just one, but Halloween's the one everybody seems to re- get into, even those that aren't into witchcraft. But she said during those times, she said it's, it's as though for her and her family that the, the gap between here and the dark world beneath, she said it's like, a, like that draws near. And see, that's the counterfeit. How many know Satan counterfeits everything that God does? Seriously. That's the counterfeit. It seems like during these times that there's a special open heaven and that heaven draws near. It's like God's presence draws near. Angels are are on assignment. There's heaven invading earth in a special way. How many of you guys would agree that's been here in River of Life that on these feast times you can tell that things amp up? The power of God is, I mean, you've experienced it. All right. So that's number one blessing associated with this. Number two There's a principle 
that when you do something over and over, it's going to create a portal like an open heaven, <clears throat> which I talked about last week. But there's this, I'm trying to show you like the flip side, the counterfeit, maybe to help understand God's ways a little better. So just bear with me. With it. But there's this principle in the occult world called egregore that if you take something, and the perfect example is Islam. Muhammad goes into Mecca. There's all these demon gods they're all worshiping. He decides to kick them all over and to pick this one little moon god that's called Allah, okay, this one little moon god, and declare that this is the one true god. And so anybody that doesn't submit to worshiping this god, we will kill you. And so over time, he's scared of a half to death. They all converted Islam. And they all began to pray to and worship this little uh, demon god that was nothing. It was a little statue in Mecca. But think about it now. Over the centuries, millions and millions of people worshiping this thing, it's no longer just some little stone piece of stone in a temple somewhere. Now it's a principality in a stronghold. Does that make sense? All right. But there's this principle in Scripture like you see a lot of people that, are, that preach on revival about keep pressing, be persistent in your prayers because you're digging a well of revival. You guys ever heard that expression? And as you keep pressing in, that it's clearing the heavens for an open heaven like we've, we've been able to do here in River of Life as well. But over the centuries, God gave this to Moses 3,500 years ago. And over the centuries and the millennia, people by the millions have been worshiping God and praying at these times. And so it's like you're connecting with all of that worship and prayer that goes back 3,500 years. If I'm explaining this well, I hope I am. All right, number three, there's blessings associated with this. I'm going to tell you that if you, if you went out of here and decided to go to Madam whatever guru up the road and have your crystal ball read and, and your fortune read or whatever, you're going to bring a curse on yourself that was not there before. Okay? You know, you're going to come out different, all right, and have a few little demons following you around now that you didn't have in your life before. Okay? You brought something on yourself. So, in the same way, again, this is like Satan's counterfeit. I'm trying to use this to make sense. When you connect to things, the things of God, you're bringing a blessing on yourself that wasn't there before. All right, like my wife's testimony, her family, as far as we know, this is the truth, we've thought about this, as far as we know, her genealogy, and she's got a little book that her family gave her, we don't know of anybody that was a Christian. I mean, it's, the only thing that was even remotely close was some of them were into Mormonism. But of course, that's a cult. So... She's the first Christian, and I, as far as we know for sure, I'm the first uh, man of God Christian that would be. So anyway, I'm going somewhere with this, so follow me. She, her family had always sat at the table of demons. They'd always sat at these you know, witchcraft altars and, and garbage like that. And so they were doing things that were bringing curses on the family. And I remember when my wife and I, the very first time that we really kept Passover together, I really felt led to do it, but she told me she really felt something happen. See, what's happening is her family always sat at these demonic tables 
But now for the first time that we ever even know of, somebody in that bloodline sat at that table at Passover. Can you imagine what was really going on in the spirit realm there? And she, she said she felt something change. But see, I'm going to tell you, whenever we set those tables up last year, and we all feasted real good, and we went through that Passover Seder, that ceremonial meal that's done, what you've got to realize is, and I told you all this, but you're sitting here at the Lord's table, and you're drinking those four cups of Passover, and we're doing this together. You're bringing a blessing on yourself that was not there before. In fact, I would go so far as to say you're creating generational blessings that's going to affect your kids and your descendants. The next one was, but my wife and I, we wanted to set apart a day as a Sabbath. And so we, we did that. And I remember the first three, three or four times that we did this and we'd pray together, it was, it was weird, but I saw, a, I saw a shining face. And I remember seeing it just as clear. Because I remember I was asking God, what are the benefits? Well, I mean, what, what's the reason for this? Because if I do something, I want it to be spirit-led. I want it to be God, and I want, there to, I want to understand what I'm doing. And I was, we were sitting there, and we, we prayed. It was the Sabbath. We're sitting apart. And I saw this shining face. And this went on for about three or four times. So I, I said, you know, I began to do some research about the shining face of God. <laughs> and I knew enough to know that the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you. I knew this is in the Bible. And so I began to do a research. And what I found was in the scriptures, when Israel would disobey God and grieve him, it says that he would turn his face away from them. But when they were doing what they're supposed to be doing, and it pleased him, that he would shine his face upon them. I thought, oh, this is interesting, you know, and I I began to look more into it, and I realized that um, there was a lot to this shining face of God. And, for example, I'm about to get into this, so let me say two more things, and I'll get back into this, okay? Another thing about the Sabbath that I realized with my family was I really felt led to set aside a day that we would have a family Sabbath, and... I realized that our family began to bond in a way that we never had before. I and mean, we were always a happy family, really, but this was, this was different. There was some kind of a spiritual blessing that came and some kind of a bonding that happened. And so this quality time together, combined with God's blessing, seemed like all of a sudden we were bonding and we were close and something, something had happened that was really powerful. It was remarkable. And I remember realizing and talking about it with my family how much things changed and another thing about the sabbath in the natural i would say that your body needs rest you know some people work 24 7 literally and they wonder why they get sick you know if you're if that's all you're doing is working all the time and you don't ever rest you know and so i believe that that god is trying to tell us that there is a day that we need to rest anyway okay so all right our Hebrew roots, that's in Hebrew, that Shabbat Shalom, that's a blessing that'll be spoken. You know, you hear people use that, but here's what it looks like with the Jewish roots of a Sabbath. So what would happen was the family will come together and the wife 
will cover her head just out of respect for God. And she'll light two candles. The two candles meaning to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's it. And you'll see it, you know, someone wave their hands like this over the candles. And what that's meant is that the shining of God's presence come into that home. Now, listen to what I'm saying, guys, because we talked last week about the presence of God coming in your home. It is believed that, especially since the temple was destroyed, that now it's like lighting these these candles. It's like a, a, a type of a menorah where you're asking for God's presence, his shining face to come into your home. Does this make sense? And we read in the book of Psalms that the Bible says God wraps himself in light like a garment. And the weight of that garment, how many guys have gotten prayer and you felt the weight of the glory? You felt the heavy glory on you. How many guys have felt that? I have too. The glory of God, his manifest presence is, the Bible says he wraps himself in, a, in light like a garment. What, what that weight of that garment is the Chabad, the weightiness of God, the glory but the shining of that garment is the Shekinah. And that's the shining, the shining face of God in his garment that shines. And that's what clothed Adam and Eve. And when they send all that, I've explained all that. But anyway, it's believed for God's light, his glory to start coming into your home. And so as, this is what is going on. You know, they're, they're setting apart a day. And then there's this table and all of them are going to sit down now and feast unto the Lord. And the, the head of the home, underneath the prayer shawl, will, will bring his family. And he'll speak a blessing over his family. And I'm going to tell you, that's incredibly powerful. The father will speak over the, the young men, his sons. The Yesim Ka Elohim Ke Ephraim Vekim which is the Lord bless you and make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And then speak over the women. The Lord bless you and make, it, make you a Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And he'll speak that priestly blessing over that family. So imagine your whole life growing up having a male authority figure blessing you every week. And that day, the next day will be a day of rest where there's time that's spent with the Lord. And there's also time that's spent together as a family. And even the, even the table is supposed to represent the table of the tabernacle where you see the challah bread is, is supposed to represent the, the bread that was in the holy place. Oh, is this making sense? So this culture comes out of something that's 3,500 years old. It's something that Jesus would have no doubt done every week, his whole life. The disciples would have done it their whole life that they would have had a day that was holy unto God, a day of rest, but a day of worshiping the Lord. What's the benefits of having that time where you set apart a Sabbath? I told you before, it has to do with knowing the joy of the Lord, riding on the heights of the land, feasting on the inheritance of Jacob. And not only that, but I believe that God's presence coming into your home in a powerful way. Now, I don't believe that you have to have a Sabbath to be righteous. I believe that you can go to heaven and not keep a Sabbath. Okay, I really do. I don't believe it makes you saved or righteous or better or smarter than anybody else. I just believe that there's blessings associated with it. And that you're doing something to bring a blessing on your family that just simply wasn't there before. 
It's just like, for example, people that have the wisdom to be tithers. You can go to heaven and not be a tither. But I tell you what, you cannot stand on the promise that God will rebuke the devourer for you, open the heavens above you, pour out more blessings than there's room enough to contain, and nations rise to call you blessed. You see what I'm saying? You're doing something that pleases God, but it brings a blessing on you. And so this is how the Sabbath is started. If you'll follow me tonight, there's the two candles that's lit, and they set the day apart as holy, and you can take communion together. But then the Sabbath day is ended by a little ceremonial, a little ceremony called Havdalah. And Havdalah is just it's a little ceremony that means separation, and it's where you separate the Sabbath from the next day, the other six days of work, separating those two days. People say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, I think that it could be something that really glorifies the Lord and is quite powerful, actually. And the reason why I say that is because just as Havdalah means separation, this can be a time where you are really consecrating yourself as holy and your family as holy unto God before you start the week. For example, the fruit of the vine is drank, okay? But this could be a time where you take Holy Communion together as a family. You'll you'll recognize that I really like Holy Communion, don't you? So you can start the Sabbath doing that. You can end it doing that if you want to. There's spices called the Besamim that are simply smelt because it represents the fragrance of the Sabbath. But you could teach your kids about the the anointing oil See, the anointing oil had spices and teach them about the the incense and what it really means and you could anoint your family and set them apart for the next week the candle you know when you do things with kids growing up they'll never forget it how many knows when you tell a kid something they'll most likely forget it but when you do something with them they'll never forget it And so there's this candle, the Havdalah candle that's lit, and it represents light in the dark world. And so you're teaching your kids, guys, we're not like the people of the world. We don't cuss like the people of the world. We're not going to gossip like the people of the world. Okay, we're, we're not going to, you know, smoke and drink and, and um, you know, do drugs like the people of the world. We, we're not going to sleep around and party like the people of the world. We are different. We're supposed to be a light in the dark world. We're set apart. <clears throat> and they see this. And then, of course, you can speak a blessing over your family. And think about this. As you start the work week from the Sabbath, you have consecrated your family as holy unto God and spoke a blessing over them to empower them in that week. So these are some things that have really impacted my family. I'm just sharing this with you. That having this day that we set apart unto God and we, we have our prayer time, we worship the Lord, but me spending time, quality time with my family, we really bonded, but also consecrating ourselves like that and me blessing them, I'm telling you, it has really impacted our home. And the presence of God has increased in our home because of that. And then the last thing I wanted to share was this. It's a little deep tonight, okay? 
Is everybody following me okay? All right. The last thing I want to share is the importance of praying at night before you go to bed together as a family. This has really impacted us as well. I've always taught my wife and daughter that the importance of prayer. And so in the morning time, I shared with them how to pray effectively. I've taught them how to pray. But we've always had kind of our own personal prayer lives in the morning. So even growing up, I remember my daughter, if we were home or something, we'd be like, all right, it's time to pray, guys, you know. She'd go off, you hear her blaring her worship in there praying, you know. <laughs> and we had our separate time. But then also in the evening time, my wife and I would really pray together. And it's the, the principle here is in the Bible, read about this, it's really interesting, the morning and evening sacrifice. Every morning, around 9 o'clock, they would sacrifice a lamb for Israel, and every evening, they would do the same around 6 o'clock, or 3 o'clock, rather. And so this is continual. And I believe that it's symbolic of what we need today. I mean, even to this day, the Jewish people have three times they pray a day, the morning, in the, in the afternoon, and in the evening. Shacharit is the sunrise, and the Mincha is the afternoon, the Ma'ariv is the night. So there's this principle that's there. So this is what we do, and I put all this on here for you, okay? But my wife and I will pray together at night, and I encourage you guys to pray at night with your spouse before you go to bed because God will really visit you in a powerful, powerful way in the night. And something that I'll say, the Lord really spoke to my daughter about this, but you know our services here, the presence of God is so powerful. And she said she felt led at night, you know, she like we all do, you're charging your phone, your iPad or whatever. She said she felt led to play like our service in the background just quietly. We can barely hear it. But she said the glory has been coming in her room so strong at night. And the same with us. I try to have I take advantage of things like that on our computer, just play some really anointed stuff at night and ask the Lord, let your presence come in here. All right, so here's what we do at night. The morning and evening sacrifice, this is our time. So my wife and I, I'll usually pray, maybe take the Lord's Supper, but I always take some juice or something. This is just what I do. You don't have to do this. But I always go outside and I pray over my home that the Lord just cleanse and consecrate it. And I'll pour out some juice and just pray, Lord, let the blood of Jesus just cleanse this property. And every time I do that, I feel the presence of God start descending into that home. You know why? Because he comes where the blood is. He really does. And there's scriptural principles about this. When the, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, he would take his finger, dip it in blood, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the ark. And as soon as that blood started hitting that ark, the glory of God would come down and settle on that blood and light up that place. And so then my wife and I will come together. She speaks a blessing over me. I speak a blessing over her, and we pray together. But here is some things that you can glean from the Hebrew roots. How many of you guys sat under my teaching long enough that you can say, Pastor Scott, I agree with you that there is some wisdom in the Hebrew roots. Okay, I see that. All right. Here are some things that you can glean from our what is prayed at night. All right. Number one is called the Cheshmon Hanefesh, and this is soul searching. So the first thing you want to do is confess any sin before you go to bed. 
And if you've got issues, if somebody has ticked you off in that home, okay, you need to go deal with that and not go to bed angry with unresolved issues. This is the Cheshmon Hanafesh time where you make sure things are right with God before you go to sleep. Amen? All right. The next one is the Hamapil blessing. And listen to this blessing. Bless to you, Lord our God. You're blessing God here, speaking this to him. Gracious one, keeper of the world, who makes our eyes sleep because our eyelids to close. God of those who came before us, help us to lie down peacefully and rise up peacefully. To lie down in his shalom. Amen. And while we sleep, we're not going to be disturbed by troubling ideas, bad dreams, or scary thoughts that would try to come in the night. May our sleep bring both rest and insight. How many of you guys have had insight when you sleep? God gave you a dream. I'm serious. Insight. Okay. Blessed you, God, who illuminates the whole world in your glorious ways. Isn't that a powerful blessing? Then the next one is to pray for angels to be around you. There's a lot of wisdom in this. So let me walk you through this. This kind of give you some insight on how my wife and I pray about this. But they'll say this, may Michael, the angel of love, be on our right. But listen, I'm going to give you some scriptures about this. How many of you guys know the Bible says in Psalms 34, I believe, verse 7, the angels of the Lord encamp around those that fear the Lord to deliver them? Okay, do we really believe that scripture? Because I do. The angels of the Lord are around you if you fear the Lord to deliver you. Isn't that powerful? And so it also says in the scriptures that the angel of God's presence will save you. And that Hebrew word is save, like deliver you out of trouble. And so when you're dealing with angels like Michael, okay, this is how I always pray it. Warfare angels, warring angels like Michael would be around river of life and deliver us from trouble and set people free. If they need a breakthrough, they'll bring the breakthrough. Amen. The second one is, they say, may angels like Gabriel, the angel power, be on your left. I'm trying to share some things with you all. This is some insight here. But angels like Gabriel, these type of angels, they ascend and descend. You guys remember that story at Azusa Street where that pillar of fire was over it? And those angels would be ascending and descending. So the angels of the Lord, like Gabriel, they'll go up into the heavenly realm and they'll bring from heaven things to earth. They'll bring revelation for you. And I'll tell you something, man, the angels of the Lord will bring a breakthrough anointing and bring in the presence of God. Trust me on this, okay? I'm just telling you from experience. And so you're praying, Lord, let these angels like Gabriel ascend and descend and help bring a fresh anointing and bring the presence of God. Bring revelation to River of Life. Amen. All right, the next one is um, Uriel. This scripture is, I mean, this angel is not necessarily mentioned in the scriptures per se, but I do believe that this would be an angel from the Lord. The, the name Uri is flame in Hebrew, and El is God. So this is like the flame of God, the light of God. So listen to this. Y'all hear this right here. The Bible says when you're dealing with these angels like Michael, the angels of the Lord encamp around us to deliver us. That's warfare. When you're dealing with angels like Gabriel, you're dealing with the angels of God's presence. Remember, and it says the angels will, because you're a secret place dweller, angels will accompany you in all your ways and bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. How many want that? All right, but here's the third one. 
is they pray, may the angels like Uriel go before you. So Uriel means flame of God or light of God. The Bible says in, in the book of Peter, I don't remember the exact reference, but it says that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the dawn of that day. And the steps of the righteous are ordered. And the Bible says those that keep Passover, that God will send his terror in front of you, and that's his angels, to throw your enemies into confusion and cause them to flee before you. All right, how many of you guys would like God to send his flaming angels to go in front of you? They're going to light your path. They're going to make sure you get where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and terrorize your enemies and cause them to flee before you. And then the fourth was um, angels like Raphael behind you. Rapha means healer. So healing of God, okay? The angel of healing. The Bible says that God has sent his angels as ministering spirits sent to minister unto the heirs of salvation. You guys read that in the book of Hebrews. So God will send his angels to minister. And listen, when Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days, and he was, he was so hungry, and he had been out there in that wilderness, and he had faced the devil literally. It says that the very last thing Jesus said to him, remember, depart from me, Satan. And Satan left him. But it says, if you read it, after Satan left him, that angels came and ministered unto Jesus. Listen, if Jesus needs the ministry of angels, I'm pretty sure that me and you need it. Okay, I'm just saying. And there's a reason why God sent them around our lives. So look at this. They're saying on your right, on your left, going in front of you and being behind you that the angels are around you to protect you, basically. And then, God, it says here, and over you, the Shekinah glory of God, God's imminent presence. It's you know, in Isaiah 4, it promises that God will purge the bloodstains from Jerusalem with a spirit of fire and burning. In other words, he'll cleanse Israel. And then he said, and then over Israel, the glory will be a defense, a protection. In these last days that we're living, if we'll allow God to really cleanse us and deeply purge us, his glory can come in your life and settle over you and protect you. It would be a defense. That's why Paul said in, in Romans 13 that there's an armor of light. It's the armor of the glory. You guys ever seen something like a lobster, you know, and it's totally got this crust all around it? As a little kid, I was kind of stupid sometimes. I caught this crawfish one time, and I was real proud of myself. And I was sitting there, and I had shorts on, though. And I was trying to do something, so I set it on my leg. And little did I remember, I learned real quick, listen, I learned real quick that it's not just the two front ones, right? Every one of their little ones dug into my skin, right? All those little legs just dug in. But the thing about these um, crawfish or lobsters or whatever, there's a total shell all around them. And the Lord is saying in Romans 13 that the glory can be an armament around you, that you can walk in the armor of light. So in the evening time, this is the last thing. My wife and I pray, God, surround us with your angels. All right. But then the last thing we pray is that the glory would settle over us. And did you guys ever read the story of Samuel sleeping by the ark? Okay, 
out of all the stories in the Bible, this is one of my top favorite stories. Because just about everything that you're not supposed to do, Eli did in this, okay? But he knew, he was being led by the Spirit that he knew instinctively God showed him that Samuel was going to be a significant man of God. He knew that he was going to be like a Nazarite from birth and that he was going to be a man of God. So, so Eli let little Samuel go into the Holy of Holies. Noticed Eli didn't go in there. But he let little Samuel go in there and sleep by the ark. This is in the Bible. And Samuel was sleeping in the glory, man. You know he slept good. And then while he's sleeping there, he's hearing God talk to him. And he learned the voice of God. And so my wife and I always pray, Lord, your angels around us, but let your glory settle over us and let us sleep in the presence of God like Samuel by the ark. We're going to sleep in the glory. And I'm only saying this because I'm trying to put faith in people because I believe it's important. The glory of the Lord, just like here at church, can come into your home. And I know this by experience. And can settle over you at night when you sleep in a powerful way. And we need that. The Bible says the glory will be a defense. It will be an armament. It will be protection in these end times. All right. And then the last thing is just quote some promises of God in Psalm 4, 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then Psalm 127, verse 2. He grants sleep to those that he loves. Isn't that powerful? All right. These are some things that's really impacted my wife and I. And if somebody said to me, you know, Pastor Scott, is there a couple things in Hebrew? Because I don't want to have to learn a lot of Hebrew. But is there a couple things that would really benefit me to know? These are the four. I put them there so you can look them up if you want to. They're really easy. But the Shema is a song. It's like a creed. The Matovu, man, that, that is a blessing that is spoken when you come into God's house. The Matovu, Oheleka, Yaakov, Mishkinotek, Israel. And what it means is, see, Balaam was hired to be up on this mountain and curse Israel. Remember that story? And he looks down with Balak, king of Moab. He looks down and he probably sees the tabernacle. And he sees all the tents of Israel. And he probably sees... Um, Jewish men have their tallit on, their prayer shawl. And he basically says, if I can paraphrase it, I can't curse what God has blessed. God says about these people, how goodly and beautiful your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. God's blessed them. See, that's a blessing, a Hebrew blessing straight out of the scriptures you speak over your dwelling. The other one is the Birkat Konim, the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you, all that. And then the last one is called Kiddush. And what that is, it's the blessing that's spoken over the bread and the fruit of the vine. And what it's interesting because the word Kiddush means to sanctify. So what you're saying is, we're about to take Holy Communion here. This isn't just any bread and this is just in, just any juice anymore. Lord, we're sanctifying this as communion. That's what that's saying, okay? But if you want to learn a few phrases, those would be good. I know, for example, mom goes and ministers in the hospitals and she's run into a lot of Jewish people. And you have the opportunity to share your faith. And you can share some of these things. You know, in, in witnessing, I think it will really help break down some walls there. I had the opportunity to witness to a, a Jewish young man that had just been bar mitzvahed. And, 
And because I know so much that I do about these things, he really listened to me. You know, and I was telling him about Jesus. It was awesome. All right, brother, let's go ahead. And let me say one more thing, and then we're going to shut down recordings. I didn't put this in your notes, but it's online. The Amidah prayer, okay? I got this from the 700 Club CBN website because I like the little Devo that they did at the top. But it was talking about uh, an abbreviation of the Amidah has to do with Jesus' prayer that he taught. But this is a prayer... I don't know if you guys can see this, okay? I put this up there. So if you want the notes, you can download this. But this was a prayer that was written back in the days of Ezra, hundreds of years before Jesus, a couple hundred years. And it was something I'm sure that they, a lot of people prayed before that, but Ezra, being a scribe, kind of put it together in what's called the Amidah prayer. And every day, the Jewish people are praying this to this day. And so it's, it's actually a pretty powerful prayer if you want to use that sometimes in your prayer time. This is very Hebrew roots tonight. All right. Let's go, down, go ahead and shut down recordings. We're going to pray tonight. Lord, I thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, that, that for people here that love Israel and understand our Hebrew roots and how you've blessed us so much through that and the wisdom that's there. And I pray, Lord, that this would really bear fruit. I realize it was new and kind of a little different to some But, Lord, I do believe that setting apart a day unto the Lord as the Sabbath is important. And I believe that it will really bless people if they do that. I believe it will really bless their home and their family. And also to pray together at night. I believe it's important for families to pray together. And this will help bring the presence of God in your home and God's blessing on your home. So, Lord, I pray that you would really grant wisdom about these things. And, Lord, let this be something that impacts our culture here in River of Life, spiritually. We thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.